This is the Commons LA Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the biblical teachings and sermons from our Sunday gatherings. For more information on how you can get connected at the Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back. Hope that you uh, got to rest a bit during the holiday. It's great to see many of us back and knowing that many more will be back in the coming week. LA is always crazy. In the last two weeks of December, you can get anywhere in the entire city in like seven minutes because the highways are all empty. It's nuts. Um, we got to go up to Washington and visit actually both sides of, of our family, both Kate and mine, because everyone kind of converged at um, Kate's brother's house. We got to see her side of the family that lives mostly out in Indiana. And then my family uh, lives up there in the Tacoma area. They got to oogle over our kids and spoil them like crazy. And it was just a <laughs> Yes, Elliot. Uh, Elliot loved getting to have his birthday up there with family, and they're also like the only grandkids and nieces, or nephew, nephews and niece, so you can imagine the spoilage. It's, it's intense. It's intense. All right, so we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2 for our teaching as we seek to listen to God through his word and by his spirit. Um, Remind me, while you're opening there, you also have it in your weekly liturgy handout printed there. What was our emphasis last year? Learning to pray. Yeah, learning to pray. As a church, what we are united by is believing that in Jesus, through the gospel, the kingdom of God is here that brings a qualitative, cataclysmic change to what it means to be human, that we Created in God's image, we're created for communion with God, to walk in the presence and out of the power of God in our world for his kingdom. And what that means for us in 21st century LA is that we can actually learn to no longer live in our own aloneness and isolation and darkness and the worst parts of us, but that we can live life with God here and now, and that changes everything. And it goes so far as to change everything for the sake of the world. And so we say a lot, we want to live with God for the world. We want to live with God for the world. That sums up what it means to follow Jesus in a really beautiful way. This year, well, last year, we learned to pray. We didn't learn to pray like that. It's not like we're done. But we realized that in our endeavor to live with God for the world, prayer is kind of essential. It's sort of like step one, right? We, we see Jesus, we want to follow him. Every moment of communion with him is a moment of prayer. Moments of obedience are prayerful action in our lives. And we just humbled ourselves enough to say, man, we've been saying that we need to learn to pray more a little bit, like, for all, forever. And so let's just make it the thing for last year. And so we integrated it into a lot of different spaces, and we started praying congregationally on Sundays, and it was really beautiful. I got to see what many of you don't get to see, in that as people were left and transitioned last year, the number one thing that they told me over and over again was how life 
here at the Commons LA taught them to pray in ways that they didn't even think were possible in their life. Because truthfully, we look at God and we're like, yeah, of course you can do anything. But we look at ourselves and we're full of doubt. But really, he's big enough to move and make us different. He's big enough to work and transform us. And so I got to hear story after story after story of that. And I just want to encourage you that it's not about us. It's about the Jesus that we follow. It's about the spirit that is with us. All he needs is our willingness. And last year, we took a couple baby steps to be more willing to pray, and God worked. This year, we didn't want to transition away from prayer because we have not even come close to maturity in prayer, but we wanted to add a layer to it because what it seems the Spirit is doing among us is cultivating a heart for our city. Is seeking to not just hold this to ourselves because really it spoils when we try and keep God to ourselves, but to actually become more of his conduits in the lives of those around us through deeds and acts of love and generosity and of speaking and testifying to Jesus. And so for 2024, our emphasis and what we're going to continue to repeatedly get to say together until it's monotonous and you're sort of annoyed with me and other leaders is that we're learning to pray on mission. Okay, let's all say that together. Learning to pray on mission. Yeah, it's still catchy enough. We have Leanne to lead us loud and proud. And so today for um, this Sunday, where it's still a little bit of an in-between day, where not everyone is back in LA, but we're going to continue over the next few weeks to talk about how prayer and mission tie together. Um, I wanted us to open up this passage in 1 Timothy 2 because it does just that, all right? So will you stand with me as we read God's word? You can follow along in your handout or your Bible, and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul is writing to his ministry assistant, Timothy, and he says this. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we invite you here right now. We need you. 
We long for you. We believe that you sent your son, that you gave him so that we could ascend with him into your very presence and that in your presence, all is made right. It's where we find our life. So wherever, with whatever we are bringing in this morning to this space, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes a little bit more to the beauty, to the splendor, to the power, to the goodness of Jesus Christ? And would you teach us how to take hold of the promises that he has given us? of the life that we can live in him together. Would you give us fresh vision? And I pray particularly that you would renew our imagination for the life that can be lived with you. So help us now. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen. All right, go ahead and take your seats. So it's always a unique moment. Start of a new year, January 2024 is here. Every one of us has an opportunity to reflect and change and reassess. I don't know about you, some of you, maybe the kind of people that get that blank slate and get really excited and enthusiastic about what is possible. And others of you maybe get overwhelmed thinking about change. In LA, many of us are even coming back to Los Angeles from wherever we call home, so we have like a double opportunity to adjust. Most of us, if you're like me, have felt like we're living in kind of an upside-down world on this side of COVID. The first couple of years were us getting our footing back, and the last year or so has felt like trying to sort of figure out what life should and could look like. It's been particularly hard because it feels like our whole world is upside down. It feels like news breaks every day that flips things a little bit more. It feels like things are unpredictable. It feels like um, jobs are, are tenuous. It feels like there are all sorts of things that are hard. And so as we think about this year, particularly learning to pray on mission, my hope is that we would see this shift as an opportunity for something crazy to push into the center of our life individually and into the center of our life corporately as a church people, prayer and mission at the very center with Jesus. Troy, can I bug you to start the timer? I don't want us... I could talk a long time, and so we all want to be able to eat lunch on time and not have it be dinner. Um, <clears throat> this passage, hopefully, illuminates a little bit more for us what God is willing to do if we do that. So, the context of this passage, 1 Timothy is a letter written to Timothy, who was left in Ephesus. This uh, Izmir, Turkey is the modern-day location of where this city was. It was a very established church. It was a pretty mature church. Timothy was left there in order to uh, combat false teachings that were starting to crop up so that the church would continue to grow healthily. 
So Paul writes in the first chapter, hey, Timothy, make sure that you keep confronting the teachers who are coming in and trying to lead people away from the real living Jesus. Because teaching is important. It's not just opinions about various things. Teaching creates pathways for people into communion with the living God, or if it's false teaching, away from the presence of the living God. And then he pivots in chapter 2 right here to where we are. And so he said, yeah, keep doing your thing that I left you there for. And he says this actually in chapter 3 about the whole purpose of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.15, if I should be delayed, I have written so that you, Timothy, will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation for the truth. So in Paul's mind, the church, the gathered collection of Christ followers who are now made family, brothers and sisters with Jesus, and an embassy of the kingdom of light in a world of darkness, that he's writing this letter so we would know what we're supposed to do together. So, did you know we are a people together, just like Timothy was leading a church in Ephesus, that we belong together? And his first point, the first thing that Paul says, Timothy, therefore, first, I urge you to pray. When y'all come together, and at the very center, heartbeat source of your life together is prayer. And Jesus would agree. Jesus rebuked all sorts of people for making the temple, the place of God's presence, into a marketplace. He turned over tables and made a whip and drove them all out and said, my father's house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. Prayer. It's been God's vision the whole time that the place where his presence dwells among his people would first be a place of prayer. Last year was our year of repentance for the life of our church being about a lot of things that are good things. It's not like we were doing bad things. It's not even like there was religious hypocrisy particularly prevalent among us. We were here because we wanted an authentic life with God together. But that you cannot replace communing with God through prayer with other good things like community or mercy or the pursuit of justice. These things that we were doing, but we needed a recentering. John Stott, a theologian from the 20th century, commented on this passage saying that the first of all that Paul writes, first of all, I urge you to pray, refers not to primacy of time, but primacy of importance. So not all of your time in prayer, but centrally around prayer. For the church is essentially a worshiping, praying community. It is often said that the church's priority task is evangelism, but this is not really so. Worship takes precedence over evangelism, partly because love for God is the first commandment and love for neighbor the second. 
Partly because long after the church's evangelistic task has been completed, God's people will continue to worship Him eternally in the new creation. And partly because evangelism is itself an aspect of worship. So to pray is to worship. It's us acknowledging that we belong to God, that we need God, that we ought to center our whole life around Him, right? It draws us near to Him with our lives and the lives of others in a kind of God-dependent neediness that honors Him as the good King who cares for our world and the powerful Lord who can actually do something about it. If you're like me, you lose sight of that every day. You sort of wake up and think about all the things you could do and then the things you ought to do, like prayer, and the things that you could do seem like they're going to be way more fruitful and effective, and so those kind of force prayer out of the picture oftentimes. But prayer is something that we need to see is more powerful than what we could do ourselves. Why? What does Paul say here? It's kind of surprising. It was surprising for me this week while I was reading the passage and studying it. He doesn't say, I urge you to pray so that you all would see how satisfying God is. So that your anxiety and fears would be disarmed. If I'm honest, that's like one of the first things and the first reasons and primary motivations that I pray. I feel the anxiety of life. I feel the kind of fears of looming threats. I have things that I want to see God do in my life. No, what does he say? He says that I urge you to pray for all people. What does he say? It's a couple pages back. To pray for that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And then gets even more specific for kings and all those who are in authority. Paul says to pray for other people. The first thing that I urge you to do, Timothy leading the church in Ephesus, is to pray for everyone. Especially or specifically too, for people in authority in the world around you. Know what he's not saying? He's not saying for like Christian leaders. He's saying for all people. Paul expects, this is where it, it confronts us. Paul expects that our prayers do something. It's as though God is leaning into the world now on this side of the resurrection. And the only thing, the thin layer constraining him, like, like a layer of saran wrap, right? You could see through it. You could poke it. It's just waiting to be burst through. The only thing restraining him from pouring out grace in his kingdom is his people's prayers. Because there's something we need to know about God. He doesn't force his will on people. Love 
dictates participation. And God is love. That doesn't mean he's not sovereign. It just means that his sovereignty, his power, his rule to do whatever he wants to do in the heavens does not disarm or disincentivize or disempower our prayer and the urgency and even necessity, if I could say that of it. So the question immediately becomes, how are we ourselves not just learning to pray, but how are we learning to pray on behalf of the world around us? Because God is waiting to move in the world around us. What would our city look like in the world around us if we prayed more fervently for it? I will be straight up with you. I do not pray for Mayor Bass, for President Biden, for Governor Newsom, except when I read passages like this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I should do that. It reveals something about me. It reveals that I think God's working in the world is so distinct and apart from anything that's going on in the world that I don't need to care about that stuff. But here's something interesting. He says, pray for all those people so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. So, walk with me for a second through this. Peace out here in the world among leaders and authorities creates the context for us to follow Jesus as fully and helpfully as possible. So that we ourselves may live a peaceful and quiet life. That is to say, the best place, the best way, the best context for the kingdom of God to move forward through the people of God is a society that's pretty stable. Doesn't really seem like us right now, does it? In the grand global scheme of things, we're pretty stinking stable. But compared to the previous decades, if you've lived decades, some of you have like one under your belt. But there, we pray so that people would be conformed into the will of God, even just the natural will of God. So that we could do what we're called to do, which is live like the otherworldly outpost of the kingdom of God, loving God and loving people in a way that people could look in and see what in the world is causing you all to live according to rules that we out here in the world don't live by. Radical generosity. Sacrificial service, compassionate relationships, Jesus-centered worship fueling it all. At bottom, what what I hope you see in this is that Paul ties the absolute urgency of prayer at the very center of our life whenever we gather with praying for our city, the people around us, so that the kingdom of God could go forward, so that the mission of God could go forward. How do we see that? 
He says it in the next few verses. He says, this is good. It pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's a pretty all-encompassing statement. But there's one way in which all are invited in. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. When you think about the world around you, when I think about the world around me, is one of the most essential needs that I think of for God's kingdom to go forward in the midst of a dark, lost, lonely, broken, evil world. And the need for people to be swept up into the loving kingdom of God. Again, I'll be totally transparent. Lead the way. I need to stir myself to remember that. There are all sorts of things that crowd out that vision. But if I can ask a simple question, what is a good life in your mind's eye? What life do you want to live? How do we imagine getting 50 years down the line 70 years down the line, and we can look back and say, this was a good life. According to Scripture, according to the message of Jesus, according to the testimony of those who have gone before us and experienced the faithfulness of God, the life that is worth living is taking hold of the promises the presence and the power of God in our generation and soaking it, taking it for all that it is worth. It's the only thing that makes us whole and that impacts the world in such a way that gives us the purpose we were created for. And I don't know about you, I just don't want a life where I get accolade and success and material prosperity, and still live with the kind of empty, longing questions, is this really it? And there are people who are way ahead of you in whatever field you're in who could tell you money, success ain't the answers. The life that we can live flows from A life resolved convictionally to say, we must pray and we must be who God calls us to be in our city. We are a small church, just like we feel all of us like weak, feeble Christ followers, but the power of God available to us is astounding. And it starts by learning to pray. And it overflows into our relationships, our workplaces, our families, as we slowly stumble our way into learning what being mature ambassadors 
of Jesus looks like. I just hope that we can start this year believing that God's leaning in and all we need to do is pray and the rest will fall like dominoes. You probably feel, if you feel inadequate at prayer, you probably also feel inadequate about speaking of, of Jesus, witnessing to Jesus toward other people. Just taking generalities of how I know our church and a lot of people. Um, when I was in college, I uh, met Jesus and I felt this conviction to share Jesus with people. Sometimes I was what I could call um, courageous but a jerk. <laughs> Right? Where you've all experienced this. You just are like, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus whether you like it or not right now. I love that Paul says it's a testimony for the proper time. Like there's a way to discern when the Spirit of God is bringing about an opportunity to witness to Jesus to someone. But there were other times where I would fail at what I was asking God to do through me. So I walked on a campus one day and said, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus with someone today? And I walked through our student union building and was like, okay, I have my lunch. It's the perfect opportunity to sit with someone who's not sitting with anyone. And then I can just start talking to them and I'll make my way towards Jesus. And there were a few people that I was just intimidated by who were sitting by themselves. And it's like, oh, and it's that simultaneous, you're thinking one thing and feeling something else. And you're just led by what you're feeling in that moment. I go and sit down by myself. Oh, I failed. I feel the shame before God of like, man, I really was resolved to do this. I asked you for an opportunity. As I'm eating my lunch, really depressed and sad, like I failed. I carry that kind of stuff really heavily. This young woman comes up from behind me and says, hey, can I sit here? And I got to meet Paige. She was an international student and... I'm just still kind of like resolved to my failure and then slowly my eyes start opening that I prayed and then failed and then God brought up an opportunity. And without even trying to dictate the conversation towards Jesus, it gets there. She starts joining a Bible study with other women in our church and it was incredible. It was humbling because what I saw was that Trusting in my competency, my courage, will always let me down. All I really needed to do is knock down the prayer domino. And yeah, God tests us sometimes and we fail. We can sin still. But if we knock down that domino, his power will flow even in spite of us. So if you feel like that, if you feel intimidated, if you feel fear of man that you need God to root out of you, if you feel like you can't be a faithful witness of Jesus, I want to simply encourage you as we pray and devote ourselves to that, God will build the rest. And this year, we'll teach you, we'll train you, we'll equip you in sharing Jesus. We need both. But today, what we can do is pray, okay? Real quick, I wanted to add on here these last three verses where Paul starts to get uncomfortable for us. Because the question sort of is also, what holds us back from praying? And Paul's not tacking these on to men and women as something that is disconnected from prayer, but actually flow very naturally from his exhortation to pray. 
And if there's a problem in our context, in our society right now, is that we've rightly identified that over-applying things into stereotypes propagate things like injustice. It's a very good thing to inject some nuance into situations and circumstances and pursue justice. But one of the foolish things that we tend to do is think that we can't actually have wise principles anymore, especially when it comes to what Scripture has to say about things that are not contextual per se. There are a lot of those. But things that are more naturally hardwired by God into the way that especially men and women work. So can we be like non-reactionary, listen for wisdom, take what we can get, see some of its truth right now as it relates to prayer? Can we do that? Yeah. Okay, real quick. This is what he says. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. Remember, context is church, the gathering of God's people. Lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Okay, men, stop using your hands in anger and arguing and quabbling, fighting. Okay, there's a principle post-fall in men, hear me out, it's not universal, it manifests itself in different ways according to different men, so you may or may not relate with this in a particularly strong way. I, my first emotion when something goes wrong in my life, it's anger. What do I want to do when I get angry about something is I want to control it. I want to use my hands to assert my will. Paul says, I want men to pray lifting holy hands. He's not smacking some religious act like God gets more honor just by lifting up your hands in worship. Holiness is a set-apartness. He says, your hands are not best used serving your own anger and argumentativeness. Your hands are used in worship of God. That's where your power lies. So men, we need to take that energy that arises within us when we see things that are not the way that they're supposed to be and allow that to drive us to pray, to surrender to God, and say, use me as you will. Okay? We'll never find fulfillment in work, what we can do on our own power, and certainly not in violence. Oh, sad. It's kind of like a mic drop. All right. Now, Paul pivots. What keeps women from prayer? 9 and 10. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. So, Paul says, women, there's a temptation to believe that your power, that desirability lies in external beauty. What he's not saying is just don't care what you look like. Like the most godly thing is just to give no care for order or aesthetics at all. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is giving an inordinate amount of your time, energy, and money to the way that you appear will disrupt 
your real beauty and power and glory that can show off the goodness of God in the world. That's why he says that it's actually good works, that it's acts of righteousness. That's where real beauty lies. Okay? Now, I don't know if you see this very often, but the way in which women are objectified in our culture and beauty is upheld as the thing that will make you desirable is a lie. That's not where you'll be satisfied. That's not even where you can look the most beautiful and glorious. Learning to draw near to Jesus in prayer and be transformed by him so that you can go out and live lives of humble service is where your beauty lies. I want to note that Paul's not actually even talking about like sexual modesty here. You see that? He's talking about um, lavishness, luxury. We live in a place swimming in luxury. Bel Air, quarter mile north of us. Beverly Hills, a mile to the east of us. Billboards everywhere promoting a life that you can live, and if you live it, the promise is you will then be desirable. Men and women, both of us, need to learn to pray and have our imaginations renewed by what is possible in the kingdom of God as we draw near to Jesus, we find our wholeness, and we affect transformation in the world as we partner with God in that way. So whether or not it's one of those two things that resonates with you, there are always reasons that we fail to pray. There are fears, longings, idols that grip our hearts. But here is the thing. As we pray, we get what we really long for. If we will pray, we will find our wholeness. One of my favorite authors recently has been Eugene Peterson, and he writes, this is God's world, and God rules it. Our wholeness comes from participating in what God is doing, not manipulating what we can manage. Our wholeness comes from participating in what God is doing, not doing what we can manage. This year, as we learn to pray on mission, we're seeking to attune our ears to what the Spirit of God is doing around us, and we're seeking to open our eyes to what God could do through us. Okay? Now here's a very practical invitation. Sign up for the prayer room. How many of you have prayed in the prayer room so far? Show of hands. Keep your hand up if you did not regret it. I think more hands went up. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Like, oh, okay, it's not a scary question. I will be totally honest with you. I had a chunk of time. I'm like an efficient, I value efficiency. And so I was like, man, I got to do like 10 plus I'm an elder in the church. So I got to do like what, 15 or 20 prayer shifts lead the way. I got to like cram those things together. So I did a three hour prayer chunk. And before you think, wow, that makes me so impressive. I was like loathing it, fearing it, thinking it was going to be miserable, thinking I was going to fall asleep because it was also in the night. And I'll tell you what, it was hard. 
I was almost falling asleep. I will not lie to you. But it went by so fast, and I left there so filled, knowing I've done what I can do, and now it's up in God's hands. And I want to call you, church, if you are here, there's something in you that resonates with our vision of following Jesus. We do not want to be the kind of people who attach ourselves to something that we um, like without actually being transformed into the authentic kind of person that we're striving to be. Let's not say we want to become people of prayer without doing anything to do it. Please sign up to pray in the prayer room. We have like five spots last I checked for later today. You could just stay here after lunch. It doesn't get any easier than that. We got like 10 spots open every day this week. I was so proud of how for the first week, when many of you were gone and I myself was gone, we filled every spot for seven days. Real encouraging we didn't fail on week one. But also, if we are going to fulfill this commitment before the Lord and one another, we need everyone to feel the urgency and opportunity to say, if I'm not going to do this, what am I going to do? And the answer is probably nothing, if we're honest with ourselves. So please come and experience the fact that you can pray for an hour and be better off on the other side of it. You can scan the QR code on the chairs on the back of this weekly handout. And the first link on there is to sign up for the prayer room. You'll get reminders to go and do it. I would encourage you to take at least a spot a week for the rest of the month. If you like efficiency like I do, take a two-hour chunk, knock a week out, do it again the next week. But at the end of the day, we are hoping, we are anticipating, okay? We just believe that God will hear our prayers and is so leaning in that we've knocked out that barrier of our participation so we can trust his will with the rest. Amen? So, let's pray. Maybe for you, the most worshipful thing you could do is scan the QR code right now and sign up for something I forgot to mention. We put an iPad right there with the schedule already on it. You can just go back and sign up for a time and then um, we'll send you the instructions for how to do it. Uh, but for all of us, we want to offer this up to the Lord, and I particularly feel like we ought to pray for renewed zeal that God can and will work in our city around us. Thanks for listening. We hope you found this week's episode encouraging and strengthening in your walk with Jesus. For more information on how you can get connected at the Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Also, we'd love to have you join us at one of our church gatherings on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Upside Down Cafe in Westwood Village. We hope you'll continue to enjoy these podcast episodes.